can see in the middle of the sanctuary is a communion set. And we're going to conclude our service this morning with communion. We have been waiting on those little items for a long time because we can't pass out the communion tray and all of that. But I'll give you some instructions toward the end. Um, it's great to see you this morning. It's great to see all of you here. Um, there's a little bit more here than I anticipated, but the Lord stirred my faith, and we've got more than we need on that table. So uh, we're just going to replace more of them than I thought we'd replace for the, for the second service. But uh, I'm going to jump right into my message. Uh, I'm preaching this morning on Born to Worship. Um, when I say that, born to worship, I mean within us, you know, um, Brother Davis, Brother and Sister Davis were missionaries to India for years, and I don't know, I've, I've heard Scott Martin say there's like, how many millions of gods? It's just, their gods are in the millions. It's just, their gods, they, they have all kinds of gods. I don't even know how they can worship that many gods. Well, maybe that's what they're trying to do all the time, is trying to figure out how to worship all those gods. Why is it? that people in a place like India have this um, desire to deify everything. Now, some places it's just like a handful. Uh, Buddhism, and, and there's all kinds of, it seems like people have to have this, this other than themselves, something to give them security. We're built in to want security. We're built in to have meaning and purpose and something to embrace, something that's stronger than us. And animism, people who are like really worship the most powerful things, the storms, the lightning, the wind, the river. There's people who worship that because it's bigger than them and they feel like that they feel drawn to that. We are created with this sense of reaching and searching and wanting to know hope. Beyond ourselves, because we, we, we make terrible saviors, and we're even worse lords and gods. We just, we're not very good at it. I was telling a young, a, a man, he's not young, he's a, he's a veteran, but uh, I've had a man, uh, I've had a couple opportunities to talk to him in this community that is just, it's just overrun with evil. And um, the t couple of times I've tried to talk to him, he just shut me down. He's like, God doesn't love me, and I failed him, and that's it. You know, no need to pray for me. He even stopped me from praying for him. One of the few times I had somebody say, no, you're not praying for me. <laughs> and I happened to pull through there, and there he was, out on the front porch of where he was living, smoking a cigarette. And I rode down my window, and he threw that cigarette down. I thought, oh, here he comes. He's going <laughs> to read me the ride act again. And uh, he came over there and greeted me. And um, I'm not going to call his name, but uh, probably some people who work at the VA would know him by name. And uh, he said, it's so good to see you. And I was like, well, I, I've been praying for you. And uh, he said, I crashed a couple weeks ago, just crashed in depression. He's, he's attempted to take his life a couple of times. And um, up to then, up to that day this week, when I just saw him stop and talk to him and uh, just spoke that God loves him and there's a lot of people love, that love him and are praying for him. And this man feels so lost. He feels like whatever he's done in his life, that God wants nothing to do with him. But why does he feel that way? He's because he knows he's helpless. And this is why people reach beyond themselves. To him, it's sad. And I'm praying that God will help me be able to lead him to a really clear faith in the Lord to where. I did tell him this. I said, listen, Jesus said to Nicodemus, says, I didn't come into the world, condemn you or the world. 
And he, and he kind of interrupted me. Well, I don't believe God. I said, no, this is what he said. He said he didn't come to condemn us because we're condemned already by ourselves. We are our worst enemy. We are harder on ourselves than God will ever be on us. And I said that to him so that he will realize that Jesus doesn't condemn him. But this thing we have in our heart, I know that he's searching and seeking. And uh, it feels like he's a total failure. And there's things in his life that has to be broken. But we are born to worship. God created us to worship, to embrace him. Now, if we think that worship is the 15 or 20 minutes that we were singing songs, we are totally underestimating worship. That's just one form of worship. We can worship with our minds as well as our voices. Uh, last Sunday's message when I said the mind is a terrible thing to waste, uh, it points to, to the reality that worship begins with the heart and mind before it ever comes through our vocal cords. Worship begins in here where we want to love God, and worship is about love, is it not? We worship what we love. Have you ever heard someone say, well, you know that guy worships the ground that she walks on? Well, I don't think he really worships the ground. It just tells you how much he values her, right? So worship is about value. It's about something exalted above us. And that's why uh, tithes and offerings is not the way to balance our spiritual balance book. You know, we're, we're not kind of like making God okay with our finances. All of that's an expression of love. That's worship. We worship the Lord with our giving. We acknowledge him as a sovereign. We acknowledge that we don't have anything apart from him. And tucked away in the commandments, I'm going to take you to Exodus chapter 20. The, the Ten Commandments are repeated in Deuteronomy 5, but we're going to go to Exodus chapter 20. Tucked away within these Ten Commandments is a warning, and sometimes we miss that warning. God gave Moses these commandments on the mountain. With his own hand, he wrote out those commandments. And I'm going to start with the very first verse, so follow along with me. These two commandments, I'm just going to read the first two. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the very first one. It's a short one, but it's very powerful. You shall have no other gods. He is the lone person to be their God. This is what he's saying. But look at the second one. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, are on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the fourth and third and fourth generation of those who hate me. He associates people who make idols as those who hate him. But showing love to those who love him and obey him, who love him and keep my commandments and god spoke this to people because he knew that people were drawn to worship something and if 10 plagues did not convince these people that jehovah god was a sovereign god of the universe how about the red sea opening how about watching the entire egyptian army then pursuit of them get washed away how about that that's beyond the 10 plagues do you know it wasn't very long after that that these people did exactly opposite of what they were supposed to do? 
they gave Aaron their gold and they melted the gold down and they shaped it into a calf and there they were worshiping. Now, the commandments had not been given to them yet, but it shows you why God said this. Because he knew their propensity was when they got in a crunch, they would turn to things other than God to give them hope. He prohibited them from making any images that show of things in the earth, things in the atmosphere, or things under the water. Anything visual. This is what he's saying. I don't want you making a replica of anything visual. And I guess if you're going to make a replica, it has to be visual to begin with. So that's probably redundant. But God is the only non-visual that he causes people to worship. There's nothing visible that he tells us to worship. And yet how easy we are to move to worship of stuff. Isaiah touched on this in Isaiah 42, 8. When he says, I am the Lord, and anytime you see translated the, that Lord is in all capital letters, that is not Adonai, which is the same word in Hebrew for Kyrios in Greek. But this is Yahweh. This is the sovereign Lord. We, it could be Jehovah or Jehovah or Yahweh. We don't really know because they wouldn't even pronounce it. But it showed, this is when God is saying, I am the sovereign Lord. That is my name. I will not yield or give my glory to another or my praise to idols. And he said here in Exodus 20, he said, I am a jealous God. In other words, I have a passion for you. I don't want you giving any of the praise that I want from you to something else, especially to idols. The warning was there. The warning remains. To exalt creation above the creator is, is the betrayal of truth. It's an abandonment of giving glory to God and giving it to something else other than God. You, you cannot praise God and give God glory and do the same thing to something he's made. Isn't that odd? That people, the God of all creation and the stuff he created, they will cut down a tree, carve it into a little emblem, and then they worship that. You know, I think it was Jeremiah maybe that kind of ridiculed the people. It's like, you make your little God, he can't walk on his own, you have to carry him everywhere you go. He has ears but can't hear, he has eyes that can't see, and you're depending on him that you made to fix your problems. Worship is about exaltation, it's about lifting up, it's about value, it's about extolling, it's about serving God. You're born to worship we are born to worship. Worship is inside of us, and guess what? We're going to worship something or someone. Everybody does. I want to take you to the uh, Romans chapter 1 because the Roman culture was about as bad as you can get. But it wasn't always that way. The Roman culture was a great civilization, their legal system. We patterned so much of our law from their legal system. That's why I almost... All of our legal terms are in Latin. I was telling someone the other day, I pleaded nolo contendere in the court, and I didn't have any idea what that meant. But everybody else was getting the excuse of their speeding tickets and not, and it wasn't going against their record. I had no idea what that meant. I got up there and he says, how do you plead? Nolo contendere. Well, pay court costs, and you're not, because they were wrong giving me that speeding ticket. I won't go into that. I, I, I just have to leave that back there. 
Brenda was with me. She was baptized. I had an eyewitness. I don't even know if she wanted to go to court with me. She didn't go to court with me the other day. She just paid a ticket charge. But I want you to read with me in Romans 1 how the Roman culture just deteriorated into chaos. You'll watch this with me. For since the creation, it really, this section begins with 18 and 19, but I'm going to pick it up in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, think about that. You, you can't really see him, but his invisible qualities show through what he's made. His eternal power, his divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood for what has been made. So that people are without excuse. There's enough of his fingerprints out there that we're without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles, the very thing that God told people in Israel not to make replicas of, not to make images of, the Roman culture had dipped into this kind of idolatry. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised amen because of this god gave them over to shameful lust even their women exchanging exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones and in the same way the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. There you have it. The over-sexualization of the Roman culture kind of now is reflected in American culture. It is rampant. Human trafficking is so under, underreported. It's, it's amazing that that topic gets so little attention. It is rampant, friends. And with, with people being able to be predators on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and all this, is where they are trying to isolate young ladies, underage girls, and they'll come up missing, come up missing for a while. Sometimes they come up missing, period. And you might have saw the report this week that U.S. Marshals in Georgia rescued 39 girls, missing girls, who had been involved in human trafficking. And that's just a tip of the iceberg. Listen to me. What we live in is a culture of darkness. I think I can say that the American culture today is not a Christian culture. We, have, we as Christians are living in this realm that we live, this time that we live in, but there's some things that almost do not shock us anymore, and that's tragedy. It's in America, and it's, on the, it's around the world. Girls, women coming up missing all the time. Pornography is the introduction to idol worship, and it's rampant. 
images emblazoned in the minds of people have destroyed them, destroyed their, their, their marriages, their relationships. It's just a big lie of the enemy to make you want to be drawn to something that's visual, that's outside of what God wants you to be seeing. You, you and I cannot serve God and honor him and worship him and be addicted to something like uh, sexual things. We have to really come to a reality that we need to be light in the midst of darkness. We need to worship God. And he said here, he says, you know, it's obvious that God did all of this. And he says, people are without excuse. They ought to see it. There's a little song we used to sing when we were little in front of church. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. You think about this. God made a specific moratorium on any visible images that they create that draw their attention away from him. He didn't say ideas. He said, physical things in front of you that's going to pull your heart away from me. And he says, I will not yield or give my glory to any other, especially to idols. Someone gave me a book. It was years ago. The book was written in 2003, and I pulled it out when I was doing research for this. Because that book just jumps out in my mind when I'm thinking about what's going on in our culture, the the dawn of the iPhone and how everything is so visual now and someone very solid couple very solid family gave me this book called the vanishing word the vanishing word by author hunt the third written in 2003 and he was warning he was warning people of the visualization that was becoming unleashed on our world that we're we're less likely to read and more likely to watch None of us are guilty of that. We're not guilty of watching something before we read it. People watch stuff all the time and they believe it's true. Because it's on Google. It's on the internet. And we're not like researchers. We're not, we're not kind of protecting our minds. And, and this was, book was written 17 years ago. Well, I'm going to quote, I'm going to probably do something that's going to shock some people here this morning. There's a quote by John MacArthur in that book. So don't go out telling people, pastors done started quoting John MacArthur. No, I, I like John MacArthur. But this is what he said. This is 17 years ago. He said, this modern notion of worship as a mindless exercise has taken a heavy toll in churches. This is toward the end of that book, The Vanishing Word. You ought to get it because it's so relevant. If it was relevant in 2003, it's really relevant now. And I've got that thing highlighted all through that book when I was reading it. The modern notion of worship as a mindless exercise has taken a heavy toll in churches, leading to a decreasing emphasis on preaching and teaching and an increasing emphasis on entertaining the congregation and making people feel good. All this leaves the Christian in the pew untrained, unable to discern, and awfully blithely ignorant of the dangers all around him or her. The pull of the visual is alarming. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Boy, they're really in the news, aren't they? But get this. In January of this year, before the pandemic, before the pandemic, before the shutdown, okay, they released this study, and this is what they came up with, that children ages 8 to 10 spend an average of six hours per day in front of a screen. 
This is pre-pandemic, okay? Kids ages 12 to 14 spend an average of nine hours per day in front of a screen. And youth ages 15 to 18, it kind of goes back a little bit, spend an average of seven and a half hours per day in front of a screen. And I don't know what adults do. But we're not left out of this equation. There's a responsibility of the adults in this room to set the example and to be in charge of what comes in through your eyes. What you see, what you watch, what you allow your children to watch. I know probably this is not very rah-rah. Thank you, Pastor, for touching on this subject. We just are so blessed because you are telling us about this. But if one person, if one person alone walks out of this room and they become determined that this hyperactive visual world that we live in is not going to keep taking them down to the path of distraction from the Lord, it's well worth what I'm saying this morning. If one person, that you will be determined that that will not displace my worship of the Lord. I will not give my mind, my soul, my life to something's in front of me other than God. Do you know that that old serpent is sneaky? He does not come at you in a frontal attack. He always comes from a side or from behind. He is, you know, it would be okay. We could probably figure him out if he just was always coming at us front on. You think about, and I'm going to take you briefly to Luke or uh, Matthew chapter 4. And, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke record the temptation of Jesus. Well, what, did, what did that old serpent do when Jesus and him was in the mountain? He went after him with visible things. Look at those rocks. You're a hungry man. Make those, make those rocks into bread. You, you need something to eat. You're hungry. Took him up, showed him, uh, you know, up to a pinnacle and says, jump off of this because after all, people will be very impressed with you. Because they'll see that you didn't, it didn't hurt you. You jumped off the top of this temple and you weren't hurt. And everybody will just think you're great. He was asking him to take a shortcut to glory. A shortcut to adoration. But the one that really stands out when, when I'm talking about this subject. Is that what else was he after? He was after worship. From the time he was infatuated with himself as an angel. That resulted in him being kicked out of heaven. He's wanted what belongs to God, and especially worship. And this is unfathomable that he thought he had a chance at this. When he showed Jesus, I don't know how that happened, the kingdoms of the world, presented him the kingdom of the world, which he claimed that he had dominion over and that he claimed that he could really give all of that to the Lord. Remember, this guy's a liar. And there's no truth in him. He can't speak anything truth. It's always going to be slanted. And what did Jesus say? I think I preached on this not long ago where he said, get out of here. With a G-I. Get out of here. Go. And he said this. We're to worship God, the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. There's only one deserving of worship. And Jesus said, there's no shortcut to this for me. I'm going to get all of that anyway. But I'm not giving one semblance of worship to you. 
But it lets you know that if Satan was after the worship of Jesus and he thought that he had a chance to rob the Lord of worship, how much do you think he's going to try to rob you of worship? Bring your mind to other things. Satan knows we're born to worship. Satan knows it's innate within us, just as people living in primitive places still are serving something, worshiping something. Why? Because we're made, we're born to worship. But once we know the Lord, we need to guard our minds, guard our hearts, that he gets all the glory and he gets all the honor. We need to get our minds away from the culture that's out there in America and get our minds in God's word, refuse to embrace hate, refuse to go down a cynical path, refuse to parrot the latest craze and get our minds in God's word and to love God, to really love God, to love our family, to serve God, to teach our children to serve God, to teach them that God is the author of all things good, that he deserves your prayers, he deserves your praise, he deserves your worship, he deserves your life. If you serve your life to serve, if you live your life to serve him, you will fulfill your purpose in this world. And he will put you in places where you can affect other people who are being drawn away from worshiping the Lord. I'd like for our praise team to come back up. Boy, it starts with just embracing, embracing the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it starts there to embrace the one who died on the cross. I've, I've had an opportunity to tell people this week, Jesus died on the cross for you. You matter to him. He died on the cross for you while you and I were sinners. Not after we've become Christians. He died for us before we even thought about him. At our worst, he died for us. So that the world and the stuff that tries to draw people into bondage, there's a lot of bondage in our world. There's, there's enslavement in our world now. Whether it's to ideas, to the sexualization of our culture. Listen, listen, parents, you need to be on high alert. You need to be on high alert what your children have in front of you should be the guardians of your home watching what comes into your home there's never a justification for stuff that comes your way that you know dishonors the Lord and the Lord would never stand for it if you were to ask him Lord what do you think about that because the wrong question is asked sometimes well, what's wrong with it I think better question is what is right with it and how does it glorify the Lord because he won't share his glory with anyone else I want you to stand with me we're going to go into a time of communion and um, if you want to put your mask on on your way to the table we can start to the front row and you go get a cup listen if you've got children with instructions on how to open it. There's bread and juice in each of those